0: Funding for The Hinckley Report and this podcast is made possible in part by the
1: Cleone-Peterson-Eccles Endowment Fund and AARP Utah. Thank you for listening to The Hinkley Report, your weekly political roundup. Additional support comes from State Street, produced by KUER. Hosts Sonia Hudson and Emily Means take a fresh look at politics, the Utah way. Get episodes wherever you listen to podcasts or at statestreetpod.org. Good evening, and welcome to The Hinckley Report. I'm Jason Perry, director of the Hinckley Institute of Politics. Covering the week, we have Chris Blake, partner with RRJ Consulting. Sophia DeCaro, executive director of the Governor's Office of Planning and Budget, and Jay Evenson, senior editorial columnist with the Deseret News. So glad to have you with us. So many important issues for us to talk, particularly as we get to, to yet another week of the legislative session. A lot of interesting bills, big impact. I want to start with one with you, Jay, though, because one, I guess it was kind of aimed at you. Maybe not personally. <laughs> this is uh, Senate Resolution 1. It has to do with media inside the legislature, where they can go, where they can't go, and that process. Talk about that, because this is sort of a new conversation.
0: Oh, well, this is kind of inside baseball, but it's important to- to the media, and um, this is Senate Resolution One, and what it would do is to restrict where we can go when uh, the gavel sounds, ending the daily uh, floor session. And um, as it is right now, uh, the media can go onto the floor uh, of, the, of the Senate. You often uh, will grab a senator and say, uh, "Hey, can you clarify something here?" Or it's you know it's an opportunity to to talk a little bit informally. Um, What SR1 would do is uh, require us to get permission from a media designee I'm not quite sure who that is uh, to, to speak uh, to somebody in one of these areas that are not open to the public. And so it would make it much harder for us to just get a clarifying uh, uh, question in. And the, the second part of it is in a committee meeting, this would keep the media from going up on the da- dais uh, and, be, and behind committee members and particularly um, photographers and, and uh, television uh, f- photographers. Now I've been around for a while and I remember, (laughs) my first session here was a 1987 legislative session and the media used to be on the floor back then we had a a section on the floor and it just seems like bit by bit they've been moving us farther and farther away from uh, from the legislators themselves and what they are saying is that oh uh, there are so many more media now than there were before because anybody who has a blog can call, call themselves a journalist um, I'm not really seeing that. There is a credentialing process up there, and uh, that, that kind of keeps it to the um, legitimate media. Mm-hmm. Um, a, a, a suggestion was made that we form a capital press corps. Uh, that would kind of police itself and would handle some of these issues. But uh, the committee said, yeah, we like that idea, but we're going to pass this out anyway. Mm -hmm. So SR1 went to the floor the Mm -hmm. other day.
1: Of course, it only applies to the Senate, the way this is It only applies to the Senate. Uh I'm just so curious, because this is unique that we have the two of you, Chris and Sophia, here as well. Sophia, former legislator, former chief of staff to the speaker. Talk about both of you. Start with you, Sophia, about this idea, because you've been in those committee hearings where the media is right behind you. Uh, taking pictures and
2: yeah and yeah I mean I, I I can understand both sides um, we're in a different environment than we were years ago so I think it's natural to have some change occur over time um, and and just the the nature of uh, the the sentiment the public uh, sentiment we have right now there's a lot of anger um, we have a lot of division uh, and I can there, there's a there's a real need to balance out safety um, and elements of privacy as well as uh, the ability to just do your work as a lawmaker oftentimes you're getting information at the same time the public's getting the information and when you're not able to deliberate and hear what's going on or um, you know if you're disrupted from being able to absorb the information or uh, it, it can it can hinder some of the work that you need to do when you're the one having to make the vote uh, so I, I know that there's There's got to be a delicate balance, um, and, uh, you know, hopefully those conversations can continue because it is a very important role that the media plays, and hopefully uh, we can have some uh, resolution going forward that makes everybody happy.
3: You know, I, we, we, we've we all had to deal with this. What There is, to Jay's point, back in 1987, even when I started in 1998, m- members of the media were on the floor. I think in 1987, lobbyists were even allowed on the floor, uh, which obviously is not the case mm-hmm. anymore. Um, but so there is always a balance. We're seeing a, a, an increase in safety and security type measures up at the the Capitol. And I give both the Senate and House a lot of credit. They hold daily um press briefings where those folks are able to come in and, and ask those questions and so it is a balance that's constantly going on and I, I think there are even issues around when you're up on the dais it can be a little bit distracting you see before like a DC hearing all the camera people kind of flood in it take all the pictures up front and then kind of dissipate and so some of these things need to be worked out I have a belief in the legislative process that as the media expresses their concerns uh, the, the legislature will will express theirs and they'll, they'll find a balance that will make sense including the of, of
1: a press court, which could, could make yes. a lot of sense as the media uh, grows here in Utah. Yeah. Very interesting idea that's being discussed there, though, because when these rules come out, what recourse do the press have? Who do they go to?
0: Exactly. And th- th- this is following a national trend, too. There are other state legislatures dealing with this. My concern is I, I don't see what problem really is being solved. And I know there's an increased concern about safety these days. But nobody on that committee could point to any uh, instances where the media has caused uh, problems. Um, Chairman uh, uh, Curtis Bramble talked about one instance where uh, somebody was trying to, to speak to committee members during a committee hearing, but other than that he said mostly you know things had been the way they should be so I I'm not sure what problem we're trying to solve but this is uh, this is a trend
1: nationwide. Uh-huh. Uh, let's get into a couple of bills uh, one really caught fire it was so interesting to watch digital driver's license amendments Chris I want to I get your your take on this, this is Senate Bill 88 uh, Senator Lincoln Fillmore interesting it's allowing people to it's a pilot program to carry a digital driver's license yeah. uh, Wow talk about this committee here because I we saw some things.
3: Well, I love this idea. I've been dying for it, because I want to get rid of my wallet. I don't want to carry anything. I we, I can't pay for ca- with cash anymore anyway. Nobody <laughs> wants to take it. So I've loved the idea of a digital driver's license. There are legitimate, PRIVACY AND SECURITY ISSUES THAT THE LEGISLATURE HAS ALWAYS BEEN CONCERNED ABOUT, RIGHT? IF YOU GET PULLED OVER BY A POLICE Mm -hmm. OFFICER, YOU DON'T WANT TO HAND OVER YOUR PHONE. AND SO HOW DO YOU GO ABOUT CREATING THAT? AND WE'VE SEEN INCREMENTAL STEPS IN TERMS OF, YOU KNOW, uh, ID, OR EXCUSE ME, INSURANCE AND SOME OF THOSE OTHER THINGS. I THINK THIS IS A NATURAL STEP. The, the thing that I find a little bit ironic, if you're concerned about privacy and security, why are you carrying a cell phone around? <laughs> and so my issue is not, you know, there are legitimate issues there. I don't think the issues that were brought up are as legitimate, but there are legitimate ones that the legislature has been looking at solving, our driver's license division have been looking at, and
1: I think that this is the appropriate next step, and I hope the legislature can get there. Uh-huh. So Jay, it was a privacy issue, but this is not just a, a picture of your license as you might see it. This is a QR code right. that connects to the <coughs> driver's license database.
0: I spoke to the sponsor, uh, Senator Fillmore, yesterday, and, he, and he's a little bewildered by all this. They've been working on it for three years. <clears throat> now, you're, you're right, Chris, that um, there's, there's a lot of legitimate criticism, some of it from the left. The ACLU has issued uh, papers concerned about this, and they have, uh, they have a list of things they think should be um, uh, addressed before um, this becomes uh, uh, you know, a thing. Senator Fillmore has addressed almost all of those in these three years that we've had this pilot program, um, it's been tweaked and, and uh, there aren't that many uh, issues left to, to go over. And you're, you're right, you know, if we're going to really have a, a question about security, it should be a much broader one than that. Uh, But there's another question here, and that is, can you simply defeat a bill by coming in and and claiming all kinds of uh, conspiracy theories, you know, saying that this is the mark of the beast uh, from Revelation? Uh, There are all kinds of things. They did say that, uh, They did say that (laughs) (laughs) that in the meeting. And the committee uh, adjourned the the hearing, and I I talked to Senator Fillmore, and he said he doesn't expect it to come back this session, and he wasn't sure about next session.
1: Mm what, what happened when you got these kinds of calls? Because it was a huge campaign yeah. from people who were worrying about this slippery slope, as they called it, uh, of it, privacy.
2: Right. I mean, it's it's hard for government to innovate f- uh, for these reasons, right? It's hard for government to take the next step and innovate, and it, it, and sometimes it does take three to five years to get meaningful things like this passed and get mm-hmm. you know uh, take the next step forward. Uh, I, I, we need to you know help the public feel confident that government has the ability to keep up with those innovations, to make sure security patches are being addressed along the way as these things uh, roll out. But uh, I think it's healthy to have the conversations and um, technology is going to move forward anyway and it's it's going to come time. Yeah,
3: Sophia makes an interesting point here and I think it's one we, because we often talk about government should be a business or government needs to be more cutting edge or why can't I do this online or this when, and a lot of the times it is legitimate, you know, public criticism or public feedback that is slowing down that process. And so maybe it's a, an argument that the process works, but sometimes it is going to slow government's mm-hmm. progress as they try to move forward and
1: keep pace with some of the things we're seeing in the private sector. Mm-hmm. Well, let, let's carry on this idea of privacy and what some concerns people have about um, some of the technologies going forward. And, and Jay, let's talk about some things with voting. Very interesting. We had 23 cities in our last municipal election that Use ranked-choice voting. Uh, Representative Mike Winder had a bill to make this the process Uh, some of these same people had concerns about driver's license say absolutely not on ranked choice voting
0: yeah and I've uh, written a lot about this and and I think ranked choice voting is a really good idea for primary elections when you have people within the same party but when you're talking about going beyond that in the in the culture that we're in right now where there are some people questioning the legitimacy of elections and election security you're adding another layer of uh, complication uh, when you add rank choice voting, and there is the possibility that a third-party candidate or somebody, you know, third or fourth down the the list ends up being elected because he or she has the most second-place votes, so there there are concerns about that. But there's nothing inherent in rank choice voting that's corrupt. Um, it's just a different way of tallying tallying votes. But here again, you have uh, people who see something more sinister and, and, and deep uh, happening.
1: Mm-hmm. So that bill looks like it's not proceeding. Yeah. There, there's, there's one more associated with this. And I'm curious through the lens of a former elected official too, Sophia, uh, Representative John Hawkins on what he called election security amendments. That was a 24-hour video surveillance on ballot drop box, some information that they that he wanted to start start adding to our our Mellon uh, ballots. Because yeah, and those seem to be under attack a bit.
2: Yeah, yeah, you know, it, it's difficult. You have to balance um, access to the ballot, uh, which is important. We, we want to increase access to the ballot, um, and, and we have to also, make sure that those are legitimate people voting as well and and balancing that is tricky Uh, i have a lot of confidence in our in our elections offices uh, in our state Uh, we have a robust auditing process that takes place um, to protect against those types of things Um, i know there's concern about adding uh, you know personal identified Mm -hmm. information on ballots Uh, there's some security risks in that kind of practice uh, that i think ought to be considered and so i i I think you know, we, we just have to be careful in making that balance.
1: Uh-huh. So interesting, Chris, because um, that balance, there's some in the community that are still trying to have this, this conversation. They're worried about ways that the voting process could be infiltrated in some way. Even an initiative that looks like it may have failed to get rid of mail-in balloting. Looks like they're not gonna get enough signatures. It requires some by February 15th.
3: Right, I saw just this morning that they're suggesting that they're going to file a lawsuit to to extend the the deadline. getting a initiative on the ballot should be challenging. Passing a law is challenging. Going through the process is mm-hmm. difficult. And so I, I, I think it's beneficial that the initiative process exists. It serves as a check, uh, but it, I don't want to see us get to some other states where initiatives are so easy to get on the ballot or money drives them onto the ballot mm-hmm. that I think it corrupts or cha- not corrupts, but it warps the, the process in terms of how you get a law passed. and and what impact that has on citizens. And so I think that it's a, an appropriate check, but that it should be difficult. And I think they're, they're seeing, and others have seen, it is a challenge to get a law on, on the ballot. And that's only really step one. Mm-hmm. Absolutely.
1: Right. Go ahead, Jay.
0: Well, going going back to uh, elections, and I know you want to get into our, our Desiree News Hinkley uh, poll, but we asked that question about whether people thought the upcoming election would be handled correctly and would be legitimate. And I think it was about 82% in Utah right. that said they 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 do think that they have faith in it. So we're re- really it's a very small percentage of the people here who are concerned about it and who are who are I think ha- have, have a little bit more. Power than what their numbers would suggest.
2: Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I, I just want to add, too, you know, we were positioned really well when the pandemic hit that we had access to the ballots through vote-by-mail, uh, and, and a lot of other states didn't have that in place and had to go through that hurdle, go through those uh, implementation uh, pains, and we didn't have to do that. We were already advanced to that level. We were already doing it, and we were able to get through an election during mm-hmm. a pandemic, no problem, because we had that in place. Mm-hmm.
3: And it's another example where the state moved slowly on this. You know, they did it. If I remember correctly, they did it in municipal mm-hmm. elections. Right. They tested it out. They saw and, and have slowly expanded it so that people a feel more comfortable with it, but also have a better understanding of how the process works, what the security mm-hmm. processes are, what you do if you spoil
1: a ballot, those types of things that have made it more secure and people more comfortable with it, to Jay's point. So interesting. Uh, I want to talk about another bill because we we talked about this on the show in the early stages. It's House Bill 162, period, project as period project period products in all k through 12 schools we talked about it here uh, chris i want to get your experience on this too because this is one of those bills uh, where a ton of work private sector the public sector involved but unanimous through each committee unanimous on the floor and in the house i think a standing ovation on this particular bill in the senate yesterday talk about the significance of that in this particular issue well, I think what's exciting here is you have uh, folks that have gotten involved at a grassroots
3: level and have pushed this and have worked hard uh, to to not only build support, some grant funding, but also then move forward with the legislature. My daughter got involved, has been interested in it, come up to a rally and and supported. And so I, I think it's a great thing, but I think it shows the power of the of the grassroots. Those individuals that have decided to really push this issue have gotten involved, have done it the right way, and have taken the, the incremental steps that they need to do Mm -hmm. to get to the point where I think it's going to pass and and move forward. it's a great thing, it should be available much like we expect toilet paper or anything else in a bathroom. So Sophia, that
1: was the argument, in fact. Some some things are just in bathrooms.
2: Yeah, you know, those used to be very difficult conversations. And I love the fact that we can talk about them now. Uh, and, and people are embracing that. And, uh, you know, we're, we're in 2022 and having that conversation now, which is just astounding. But, yeah. I, you know, I'm with Chris. I, I love that it, it's it grassroots uh, and made this happen.
1: Yeah. Uh, Jay, uh, another bill that was interesting, a, a new state holiday, potentially. Uh, Representative Sandra Hollins, uh, Juneteenth. I talk about that for just a second in this historical perspective, which which is very uh, popular right now with our legislature, very su- much supportive. Right,
0: supportive. and the Juneteenth is the the uh, the day when 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 slavery was officially abolished, or when word of that word of that yes finally reached. Mm-hmm. The, the the farthest regions of the country and and so uh, it's a it's a very important thing a very important thing for the african-american community but I think for uh, the state as a whole I remember mm-hmm. some of the problems and some of the wrangling that went on over the Martin Luther King holiday uh, 20 30 years ago mm-hmm. uh, we don't see that this time and and I I think uh, I think it's a good thing I think it's going yeah. to be uh, it's, it's good for the the state
1: just uh, I this is 1865 Galveston Texas when the Union troops uh, let uh, Uh, The enslaved African Americans there know that two years previously the Emancipation Proclamation was signed by Lincoln. Uh, very important, and we're going to see that more in the next couple of days. Hey, Sophia, I, I know you love talking about the budget. Okay, <laughs> this is part of your primary responsibilities. Can we please talk about what just happened? A tax cut, tax credits. Tell us what just happened this week and what's going sure. forward, because you got the you have a seat that no one else does.
2: Oh yeah, no, I, you know it's 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 been interesting. The the Senate wanted one thing; uh, they were very focused on an income tax cut. Um, the House wanted some other things as well. Uh, and of course, the governor had a proposal. Uh, the governor, uh, Cox, and, and, and uh, Lieutenant Governor Henderson, their proposal uh, was a $160 million tax cut, uh, with about 90% of that going to people making 100000 or less. Uh, very targeted grocery tax credit. Um, th- other proposals came forward and uh, ultimately ended up with a, a, an earned income tax credit cut, uh, about $16 million. Uh, an income tax cut from 4.95% mm-hmm. to 4.85%, uh, uh, yes. uh, about $160 million there, and then another $15 million for Social Security tax credit, uh, credit cuts. So at the end of the day, I think uh, there was something in it that made everybody happy, uh, which is... I think the Utah way uh, and and uh, I think we had a win overall Uh, we had about a 200 million dollar tax cut approximately Uh, and I think it will it will be it was a good compromise and it will be a good thing uh, for Utah and a good balance I should say as well uh, into the future Mm
1: -hmm. explain just I want to I'm curious about the retroactive nature of this back to January of this year that's an interesting
2: yeah. Uh, well, and it's nice because it will align with the calendar year mm-hmm. as people do their taxes. Uh, and, and as you know, you know, we do revenue estimates on a quarterly basis. And so uh, we'll be evaluating that again, seeing seeing what those uh, estimates look like. Uh, but it's nice because it will keep it cleaner and uh, it, it will help us uh, look at things going forward. There was a, a cut in 2018 as well. So um, I, I would applaud the legislature for being measured and not taking. Drastic uh, cuts uh, at any given time, but being measured over time, so that we don't create structural issues mm-hmm. down the road.
3: Go ahead, Chris. Well, I was just going to say, I, I think Governor Cox deserves a lot of credit. Obviously, uh, Sophia and the team came forward with a proposal on the, the grocery receipt credit. I, m- I might be saying that wrong, but and so this is a pivot there. But it 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 hit some of the same type of folks that they wanted to target. And so that's the key here is how do you find that balance? How do you negotiate uh, to find something that all parties uh, can agree on, hit some of those targeted folks, uh, lower the income tax rate. And so I think all the parties deserve credit here. And ironically, it's gone through. I mean, we're still a couple weeks from session. They're already agreed to that, it Makes right. some of the budgeting decisions easier as they move forward with that. And so, uh, uh, you know, plaudits to all those involved in this. Mm-hmm.
0: It's, okay. a, it's a modest uh, tax cut, which is important because we're in very uncertain economic times right now. We have inflation at seven and a half percent, and we have a lot of one-time money coming into the state. No one knows what the budget's going to look like next year. And there are a lot of states around the country doing a lot more in terms of tax cuts, but there's a worry that they're going to have to come back and raise taxes next year uh, to make up for that. We have other problems in the state. I, I spoke with um, Speaker uh, House Speaker uh, Wilson the other day, and as we were finishing our, our meeting, he, he mentioned that we still have uh, a budget imbalance. And you remember we, we went through tax reform a few um, years ago, uh, but we still have the sales tax is not growing as fast as the income tax and the sales tax is, is primarily what funds the general fund. He says that we barely have enough money to give state workers, uh, uh pay raises and yet the income tax is, 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 flush. And, uh, so look for some, uh, some measures, maybe not this year, but in coming years to try to fix that imbalance.
1: Mm-hmm. Uh, one more thing about legislative session, uh, Chris, uh, it wouldn't be a session without talking about daylight savings. Is it over? i hope so but my guess is no okay. sophia, says, <laughs> sophia says no interesting 2020 uh passed legislation we congress says okay four western states none of that happened yeah. uh so this one is none of that just We're done.
0: Marco Rubio's got a a bill that would, it's it's okay if you want to do standard time year-round like Arizona Uh does, but you can't do daylight saving time year-round, which is what apparently most people in Utah want to do, and Congress has to make that legal, and it just doesn't seem to go anywhere. People get upset about it four days of the year, usually the day that we change and the day after, and then we get used to it, and nobody talks about it anymore. I want
3: to see the federal government send the U.S. Army out and change all of our clocks. (laughs) Let's just stick with it. Let's... (laughs) let's you know rebellion let's stay on daylight savings i'll just
2: predict that we'll see this year after year after year after year Uh good
1: prediction uh let's talk about some things happening uh in, in utah with with federal connections uh this this last week we had the republican national committee here in the state part of this group was here looking at the state of utah as a site for the 2024 republican national convention support is there support for that in the state chris for that convention Oh, there's huge support for it in the state. Uh, the, my understanding,
3: just from reading, you know, some different sources, uh, it's going to be a hard get. And certainly when you compete against a city like Nashville, you know, that's... Uh, but Utah's been in the running. I think we need to continue to position ourselves and look for opportunities uh, to, to show off our state and have people here. And they would love it here, and hopefully we can get it. But I'm, I'm guessing it's not going to be in 2024. Okay. Well, you know,
0: it's, well it's, it's interesting because there wouldn't be any, any uh, political advantage to coming to Utah. It's already a very red state and uh, parties tend to look at, at places where they think you know uh, there's a toss-up and they can they can win voters f- for their side but I have heard some say look this would be great for the party to come to a state run by Republicans that's run so well we are mm-hmm. one of the best managed states we have one of the best economies in the country and this would be kind of a showcase for the party so mm-hmm. there is there is that aspect
1: mm-hmm. uh, as soon as the uh, s- several members of this group Jay were here looking at the state for this event they they met together and took some actions talk about what those actions were uh, uh, members of their own party current sitting senators so
0: well, they passed resolutions that uh, condemned uh, Liz Cheney representative Wyoming and Adam Kinzinger of Illinois for their part in the January 6th commission that's trying to ferret out what what happened there. Um, and as part of that uh, resolution, they said they, they condemned them for going after innocent people who are engaged in legitimate political discourse, right. which is, I guess, how they were trying to describe what happened on January 6th. Now the party tried to back away from that later and say we were only talking about those who were engaged in that, not those who were engaged in violence, but that message didn't really get out. It was those three words describing the January 6th riot that uh, got national attention and uh, party leaders such as Mitch McConnell were quick to come back and say no that was a violent insurrection mm-hmm. but it highlighted some of the the rifts in the party when you're having a, this is February we're a long ways from November but when you're having a, a party meeting uh, you would think that the focus would be on the uh, the opposing party on President Biden on the seven and a half percent inflation rate on the withdrawal from Afghanistan and, and that type of thing instead they're focused on disloyalty within their own ranks and it's an interesting message to End. I think uh,
1: in our last thirty seconds, uh, Chris uh, got a pretty quick response from Mitt Romney.
0: Yeah, I, th- I think Jay's right. Uh, we
3: they should be focused on uh, what's ahead, and uh, you know Senator Romney has been right on this issue for, in my estimation, for a long time. And let's not focus on calling out members of our own party. Uh, focus on wh- where you're leading with the party. Mm-hmm. It's going to be the
1: last word. Thank you for your great insights this evening. Very informative. Thank you for listening to The Hinckley Report. If you enjoy this podcast and want to help more people find out about it, please rate it and leave us a positive review.